Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. Joining me on Level Up this week is Nicholas Estrup, VP of Products at Blast. Nicholas, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, first of all, how are you? Well, I'm great, and, and thanks for having me. Um, for the viewers who probably doesn't know this, this has taken quite some time to set up due to me. Um, so I'm just uh, very, very um, appreciative of, of you being patient with me, and, and thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. It turned into a little bit of a comedy sketch, didn't it? Um, over the last few weeks, trying to get you on, but you finally got you here, and I'm really pleased that you're here to to talk to us about all things Blast and Counter Strike. And uh, for people listening who don't know Counter Strike, then you're in for a real treat. And then for people that do know Counter Strike, I'm hoping that this gives you some information, maybe that you didn't know as well about the game and about Blast as well. So. First of all, Nicholas, um, do you just want to describe your role at Blast and what Blast is, first of all? Of course. So Blast is a company that does esports entertainment products and and entities and IPs. And and that can be anything from big competitive leagues like we've done in Counter-Strike with Blast Premier. Uh, But it can also be standalone events uh, that we do in other titles and and other types of content projects, etc., etc. So we see ourselves as kind of an entertainment house that does everything from events to to several types of activities. And within that, uh, my role is to to have a holistical overview of the products that we essentially create. And, and here we mean a show could be a product, a league could be a product, kind of everything that we do has a bit of product in it. Um, and, and in that is my responsibility to make sure that the ambition level that we've set out and, and the ambitions of the company kind of seeps through in, in the products that we try to create, right? So we pride ourselves very much on on trying to be the ones that see things slightly differently than everyone else in the space and are not afraid of taking uh, risks when when there's a, you know potential uh, new ground to be broken into and, and a status quo to be challenged, basically. And would you say at Blast, Counter-Strike is your your biggest, I don't know if you call it a product maybe, or biggest selling point or biggest event, or esports game that you that you host? Do you reckon that's the biggest one that, that you do at Blast? It definitely is. Um, and that's a full circuit. You know, we have um, 12 incredible partner teams that are signed up. There's like a reverse funnel qualification mechanism into it, allowing for hundreds of teams being able to come into the pro circuit and compete uh, and then potentially, you know, who knows down the line, maybe even get a spot of their own. Um, so that is uh, in, in all regards, the biggest uh, IP that we have. And it's also the, the kind of birth product of, of the company in its inception. Um, so Counter-Strike is where we felt at home since day one. And now we're slowly branching out into other games as well. I want to talk about Counter-Strike in more detail, if possible, because it is truly a titan of the esports industry. It's a title of 
um, massive magnitude in the industry. One of the big boys, really, along with like Dota 2, League of Legends and those kind of titles as well. Um, something that they all have in common is that this isn't a new game, particularly. It's been out for <laughs> a very long time. I mean, Counter-Strike has had nearly 20 years or over 20 years of competitive play, beginning with the original Counter-Strike. And it's now considered one of the most influential first-person shooters in history. For people who don't know, it was initially released as a modification for Half-Life, which was an amazing game back in the day. Um, <laughs> Indeed. And they were acquired by Valve, um, the developers of Half-Life, who then turned Counter-Strike into a retail product. What makes Counter-Strike the esports title it is, and why is it so popular? I think when you look at it just on a game level, um, I think you can almost compare it to it's going to sound weird, but real sports in some ways, right? If you see a ball laying on the ground and you're playing soccer, you very quickly understand I need to kick the ball and get it into the goal and then I've done well, right? And for some reason, the mechanics of Counter-Strike just allows for that exact same ease of interpretation of what it is you have to do. Problem here is being good at it is then super hard. Um, but that's also where the challenge comes in, right? So they've managed to create a game where the mechanics of moving around, mechanics of shooting, um, and the whole package of just making a game that runs very, very smoothly and easy to understand from a, a new player's perspective, I think is is in in part why it's both become popular and easy to pick up for a lot of people, um, but also why it's kind of gotten this timeless state of life almost, because I think... You know, I, I think in the past, as you mentioned, 20 years, I've, I've heard uh, not necessarily Counter-Strike Killer mentioned when new games come up, but, you know, people are quick to assume that something is going to take over Counter-Strike's position. And I think that's just most likely never going to happen unless something goes completely wrong with Valve. So they've just managed to create a really, really good game that works very well, um, which if you've played video games yourself, you'll probably be able to nod to that not all games feel great especially not first-person shooter games, right? When you move your mouse and following the cursor on screen, just small things like that can in a lot of games be off. And in a game like this, where everything is so much down on a granular level in order to to be able to define what is the right play, what is the right shot, et cetera, just, just means that it's a very, very unique game. Um, and I think from an esports perspective, it's it's an interesting one because you're looking at a game that unlike a lot of the big developers, um, have a very open ecosystem, right? So there's uh, companies like us, we do our league, our circuit, but there's other companies also doing the same in the same game, uh, which is very untraditional. If you look at um, League of Legends, which is owned by the company Riot, um, they've taken almost all control of their main uh, entertainment product um, in various regions and, and just in its totality. And that's probably the the more typical approach when you own a game you want to own that yourself as well and that's kind of also the beauty of counter-strike is that you can kind of achieve anything in the counter-strike scene like us if you want to be a, a tournament organizer a league it's possible and and that's what i also think is kind of the, the same type of beauty in the scene as there is in the game itself it's just simple approachable and and easy to pick up in in almost all areas of of game and, and community you talked about Counter-Strike killers, if you like, and new games coming up that, that may take over the mantle. But far from that, I, I'm amazed at, at how much it's growing. E even now, it's it's on a, an upward curve. I mean, if you look at 
as of February 2020, Counter-Strike had 24 million monthly active users. That was more than double the figure from May 2016. So in four years, it doubled in terms of monthly active users. And that's that trend has increased into 2021 as well because it's it's broken into the million player daily player count for the first time ever. And um, it's averaging, averaging more than 1 million players online at the same time with January of this year peaking at over 1 million 80,000 players online at once so far from far from being taken over by other other titles it's it's actually growing more and that that's that's astonishing for a game that's essentially two decades old it, it is and and i think it's um it's an interesting journey the game has had and even more so now when you see um you know obviously there's a lot more video games accessible now there's a lot more types of games you saw the whole battle royale game mode kind of sweep through the video game industry and it even did it to a point where valve actually did something in counter-strike and reacted right normally they just do their thing and 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 work on the game that's kind of it but but now they've built their own battle royale type mode into counter-strike as well so i think um it's on an interesting journey where in its core game which is what i also mentioned before it's just so good that you don't have to do huge changes to it all the time, right? They're not really suffering from what big AAA developers do, where you have to have a new Call of Duty game every single year. FIFA, another good example, right? New game every year, and it's this factory-type mentality. I think that's the beauty of Valve in that it's a game that works. We'll keep on updating it and, and keep making it better, but we don't have to dramatically change the game all the time. And, and that's what I think is part of its longevity uh, in that, you know, I can pick it up now and, and you know, I've played it 10 plus years ago as well. And to me, it still feels like the same game. A ton has changed, of course, but in its just roots of the game, it, it feels the same and it's possible for me to navigate. And and that I think is, is special. And I think few games has that. So, so its journey has been interesting, but I think it's also what has kind of kept it alive, right? It's this slow train just moving up the mountain while everyone is trying to build all these fancy <laughs> ways of getting up the mountain faster but but in reality you know it's going to reach the top of the mountain at some point which it's you know slowly and steadily doing so i don't see anything really derailing it other than um if something should go completely wrong on valve side it it, it seems like and has shown that it can survive almost anything right drastic changes in types of games that people consume battle royale again a good example and and i think that just shows that they're probably going to stand the test of time and unless anything changes dramatically now we've mentioned that it's a first person shooter um for people who haven't heard of counter-strike or never played it before um can we just go into the very basics and drill down into the what the game is and the, the goals of the game for people that that are playing of course, so so it's it's a very simple setting. You'll have maps where there is a bomb site, uh, two different places on the map. It is counter-terrorist forces versus terrorist forces, meaning that when the terrorists start on the map, it's team of five on either side. Um, then they are carrying a bomb that they can plant in one of these two bomb sites. Um, the counter-terrorist forces' main task within the round time is to defend these two sites and make sure the terrorist doesn't go in there and plant the bomb. So that's kind of two ways that a round can be determined by, either full elimination of the other team, uh, or it is a um, you know planting of the bomb that then either explodes or is diffused because um, the counter-terrorists have kind of 
cleaned up. So that is like the the basis of of the game itself. Um, there's obviously then tons of different formats, etc. Um, but in its its base game, it's it's uh, ultimately a, a, a round of sixteen, and and then we have a lot of elaborate systems that we we determine the winners of, of tournaments that <laughs> will probably take more than an hour to go into the the ins and outs of but that is the game on on its base level and it has a lot of interesting facets in its in its core gameplay meaning that when you start off you start off with a little handgun uh and by doing eliminations planting or diffusing the bomb winning rounds you accumulate cash essentially inside of the game and this cash you spend on upgrading your equipment so that's why you'll see a lot of economy talk when you watch Counter-Strike, because it's a fine balance of knowing the amount of rounds that there is in the match um, and then what your team needs to do in order to always have a fulfilling pool of equipment in order to hopefully be you know, in a better position than the other team. So even though it may look simple, it's a 5v5 game on some maps that are made in different settings, played on seven different at a time uh maps uh it may look to some degree simple but there's a lot of complexity going on just in the tactic aspects uh, financial aspects etc and you'll see some of these professional teams have you know big binders full of tactics and and ways of moving around the map and and lining up things that it the best example i can give is you know an american football nfl style book of tactics where you you run a play versus the other team that is also running their either offensive or defensive play and it's this constant dance back and forth of those two ways of, of doing tactics that's just beautiful to watch when it's at its highest level has that always been the format or did did valve ha- have to mess with it a bit at the start to get it right or is that has that always been the format from day one no, it's, it's changed a lot. And I think often it's been less decided um, by Valve to some degree. And early on in the early, early days, you know, it was down to the tournament, what what type of um, of rules they set out for the format. You know, once you read, reach overtimes, it's up to the individual tournament how they want to do the overtime. Is it max rounds three or six, et cetera? Um, and for the game mode itself, you know, it's it's MR16, which is max round 16 now. Back in the day, uh, it was MR12, where you only played 12 rounds. And that obviously changes the dynamic quite a lot. Things like round time, another thing that has changed a lot over time. Uh, now we're down to a minute and 25 seconds, where back in, in the early days, I remember we used to play with uh, you know, a round sum of three minutes, meaning that you could sit in a tournament and wonder where's the opponent, because they would play it safe and hide in a corner of the map and then explosively attack when there's almost no time left and at this point you will have waited two and a half minutes for this to happen <laughs> growing <laughs> more and more frustrated so all the changes that there's been and, and the state the game is in now is definitely the best i believe uh it's been since its inception and i guess that's that's how both valve has fine-tuned and tournament organizers have fine-tuned over time i think from from learning about this game more and and speaking to people who know league of legends and dota 2 very well as well it's kind of changed my whole outlook on games and esports titles as well because we tend to think of new releases as like you know the the biggest best games that are coming out and there's this initial fanfare when they first get released of how good it is and there's the feedback and and then you know that just that's just what the game is and people just have that view and then 
it kind of sometimes dies dies down. But I think what what these games have shown, those three that I mentioned have shown, is that just because a game might launch and not have a massive reaction at the start you can look at the game in 10 15 20 years and then then really that's when you can make the real decision about how successful it's been because some games take a while to find the right format and i think that's that's where these games come in it's just changed my whole whole opinion about how games should be looked at really no definitely and i think a big part of it is also timing right if you look at more traditional triple a titles you can see a lot of titles that maybe ahead of their time or maybe late to the party or maybe it's just not the right time at all even though the game in its base level is is good enough and and i think that combined with you know what we talked about a bit earlier as well around this fact that the company that produce games usually just want more out because that means more transactions uh, and more more money on the bottom line when the year is over and i think um, a lot of games are beginning to prove like Counter-Strike and Dota and all these other long-standing games that doesn't really have that same type of life cycle is that there's actually true value to be found in that, right? New ways of monetizing your consumers of the game. It doesn't always have to be to spend another, what is it, 50 or $60 on, on the same game that you've been playing last year. Now they just made a couple of tweaks, right? You know, um, So it's it's definitely interesting and and you're totally right. It's, it, it makes you look at the entire scene differently when you look at all video games. The two, if we're not talking about esports titles, you just talk about general general games. The two that stand up for me are No Man's Sky, which was released to terrible yep, reception. Played that too. <laughs> um, I played when it first came out, and I was just, I was, I was really disappointed. And now. Yeah. I absolutely love it. It's the game that they promised it would be. They've fulfilled on that and and more. I mean, the the graphics are outstanding. The way you can jump between planets and it's just everything that they promised initially. But I think you know, games developers are under such pressure to develop these games. You've seen with like Cyberpunk, for example, the reception oh, yeah. that that's got. I think, and the the other one is GTA Five, which was released in 2013, but it's still at the top of the UK games charts pretty much every week. Yeah. People are still buying it. I don't know who's not got a copy of that game because it <laughs> seems, seems like every week people are buying it still. And I think that just shows that, yes, that while there is a market for brand new AAA games that come out every every other year and you have to spend you know, 50, 60 pounds on them, there is also a market for these other games where there's these constant updates and tweaking and they can be just as enjoyable as as brand new games these brand new modes and things that that get brought out um and that's that's very similar to what counter-strike has become as well yeah definitely definitely and i mean i've i've made my way through no man's sky when that launched as well and had equally painful experience right and even tried downloading it now when when it's back and and better and i just i couldn't i just couldn't get myself to it and and i've actually now with i'm what the, the listeners won't know is that I'm laying here at home with a broken ankle. So I've just made my way through cyberpunk. And <laughs> that's probably the worst idea ever. When you're already in pain over something, you don't need more pain in the video game you're playing due to bugs yeah. and, and issues. So I think you're, you're right. I, I think there's, uh, there's definitely value to be found in thinking outside the box of, of what it means to launch a game and maintain a game. And, and I think, Hopefully now with the learnings of No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk are great examples, I think, of of games that that 
would have been incredible had they launched a bit more flawlessly or in the later stage, you know, for No Man's Sky and hopefully soon to come for Cyberpunk as well. It would have changed everything, right? So so diving into that more, I think, is going to be crucial for game developers. And, and I think you can see a shift. I think Fortnite, another good example, the whole Battle Royale scene, um, another good example of, of having a game that in its base mechanics just work really well and does what it should. And then you can always tweak and update Fortnite might be a bit extreme in that regard, right? Because they do a lot of updates yeah. all the time. But I think, you know, it's it's the same kind of methodology that some of the older games follow, like, you know, Dota, Counter-Strike and, and League of Legends. And, and I think seeing how um, it also shifts the mind of the consumer and that you'll have someone being much more forgiving, I think, to some degree over Dota or Counter-Strike because, well, yeah, you know, I bought a copy, you know, 10 plus years ago why would i give them you know any type of bs for messing something up now they've done this for free for me for so many years you know versus if i've just spent a hundred dollars on the you know pre-order uh fancy pants pack (laughs) version of of the game you know i'm gonna have high expectations and i think that's another thing where where it's just smarter in the long run uh with the with the core group of gamers that you have playing your game to to think about that differently and and i hope that that you know the the more mainstream games industry will will see the light in that someday um but thank god we have developers like valve and others who who are not afraid of of breaking that norm absolutely and in the week that we're recording um ei have launched um or they've announced their new battlefield title battlefield 2042 mm-hmm. and um it just got me thinking now actually it'll be really interesting because Battlefield 2042 will be £70 for the next-gen version on the PlayStation 5s and and the Xbox Series X and S. It doesn't have a story mode, campaign mode in it. It doesn't have a Battle Royale mode. It only has multiplayer. It will be really interesting to see. Obviously, EA are the developers of of the Battlefield series. It will be really interesting to see in five years' time um, how Battlefield 2042 is looked at compared to how Call of Duty Warzone is looked at because Call of Duty Warzone is going to be updated every year and you know every couple of months yeah. you know there's rumors about a new map or so forth It'd be really interesting to see in the next 5 years I mean EA might bring out another Battlefield title in that time we never know but it'd be really interesting in 5 years time to see how those two compare and if and how the player base is and you know looking at the happiness of people that are playing the game and uh, and how much revenue it's it, compl- two completely different ways of getting revenue i suppose from a developer point of view but it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top of that and if we ever find out i suppose as well <laughs> yeah, exactly and and i mean it's funny I, I was watching that trailer and had you shown me the trailer without any of the graphics from battlefield i would have said this is the next call of duty game right because it it's clear that they've definitely taken a page from the call of duty playbook in just doing something that's so big and crazy and unthinkable uh, in a military-style setting and 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 then do it, which it undoubtedly looks like it's going to be, in some form of Battle Royale mode, right? So I think you're right. I think that's 100% what, what it looks like they're doing. They're seeing the the positive effect of, of that new way of, of looking at games and keeping them alive. And I would love if this is, is Battlefield's 
interpretation of it. You know, I mean, I'm an old fart of a gamer, so I'm going to miss sitting in Bad Company 2 and playing the story mode. And, you know, I'm a sucker for all of, all of that. But but I think this seems like the smart and probably only uh, move that Battlefield can really do at this point. And, and from a tournament organizer perspective, we're obviously looking at everything. So all new games coming out and, you know, obviously E3 is around the corner. Um, it's always interesting from from our perspective because is there going to come something that we can see some opportunities in as well and and you know keeping an eye on on those type of games like Battlefield and Call of Duty you know uh, of course is something we do as well. And just if we just go back to Counter Strike for a second, I mean we're talking about all these brand new titles and we've got next gen consoles, we've got PCs with monster graphics cards if you can get them that is um <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, with the <laughs> with the the power they've got and the graphical power but counter strike is still one of the most played games in the world millions of people play it every day literally it's you you did say at the start i mean i don't want to call it simple but graphically it is simple compared to the games that are coming out now and you would expect that it'd be the the game that it is because Counter-Strike has such high FPS because it's an older game. Does that make it more popular as an esports title, even though it doesn't have the graphics that these flashy new games have? Does that make it more appealable as an esports title for people that are already pro or people want to come into the industry? I definitely think it it does, one 100%. And, and I think it's when you sit down and and try it, I think something that that I at least feel is often like a weird uh, misconception of of what it means to play something that looks great is you know a lot of times they talk about four K, eight K, and all these types of quality measures. When in in reality, right, what you want is is FPS, right? You want more frames per second as possible, so the image that you're looking at moves as smoothly as possible. And the more you have, the quicker you'll spot the enemy. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So I think that is why, in its nature, that all the computers that people are playing on now, these big monstrosities, right, is probably completely overkill to some degree in Counter Strike. Um, but I think that is the core of of the genius in Counter Strike is to keep it simple. And you're right; it's probably one of the more simpler looking games. It it doesn't have all the fancy and and swanky effects of of some of the big AAA titles in lighting and all these things but but that is also how you get a game to a place where you're um measuring the minuscule things right to measure greatness in performance uh for the game that you're playing and that is what the pros are doing and and we've you know experienced that plenty of times you know they they're happy with the computers we provide thankfully and monitors (laughs) etc etc but but it's it's very very um hard uh to please the the average counter-strike pro because their expectation level is high in how the game performs because they want it to be at the peak at all times so i think um that is why people are drawn to counter-strike both from a pro perspective if if you sat down now and tried counter-strike in its optimal setting from from a pro's perspective i think you would also be able to see and feel why it just feels like an extension of you almost and this is almost going to sound crazy when i say that i know that but there is something in fps shooter games where like i, t- I touched a little bit on it in the beginning but how you move in the game and the correlation between the movement you want to make with your fingers on the keyboard and the hand on the mouse and how it then behaves inside of the game um 
is something that's very, very, very hard to get right. And when I say it, listeners are probably going to think that I'm an absolute lunatic. But but it's it's really something that you can truly geek out over. And once you try a game, which is what Counter-Strike can provide, where it just hits all of these things to make it really feel like every single thing you're trying to do in the game is what then happens in the game, you know, it's beautiful and incredible. And, and that's why, you know, I play, as you can probably hear as well, a ton of more mainstream titles as well. And there's just nothing better than coming back to something that mechanically just works, you know, perfectly to a T almost compared to some of the other shooter games. So, so yeah, that became a bit of a rant, but I hope that kind of makes sense and also shows why people are drawn to it, why pros are drawn to it, why it's hard for pros to leave, essentially. No, that was great. A really good explanation of, of my question. I think he answered more than more than one of the questions that I was going to ask. So I, pre- I appreciate that. He's just saved me a bit of time there. So thanks. But from, from a journalist that covers FIFA predominantly for the Mirror, I experience a lot of people uh, talking to me about how there's a lot of delay and their movements aren't being registered, their inputs aren't being registered. You know, this the ball should have gone here, the ball should have gone mm. there. That's not where I aimed it. And then ends up being a lot of excuses. And it's the same in the in the actual pro scene as well with the FIFA players. Sometimes, you know, a shot will hit the post when yeah. they've done it a million times. It doesn't go in. And I know they're very different games, but I think what you said about the FPS being so high, there's not a lot of excuses, is there? esports pros and it kind of i suppose that also um gets rid of some of the not as good players so you're getting the very best um at what they do and there's there's no kind of excuses there for them no but i think it's it's exactly that and and that's kind of funny when you when you play the game there's there's few games right i think gamer rage is is a very legit thing and i felt it as well and i think FIFA is probably one of the good go-to places if you want to really feel it, and I'm sure it's destroyed enough controllers to build Absolutely. a city by now. Absolutely. But um, but I think that's also due to to that fact exactly. One thing is, of course, just smoothness of the game, but another is how it behaves. Is it really doing everything that I'm telling it to do in that exact moment? It's probably a yes for a lot of games, but there's also a lot of games where it's a uh, maybe <laughs> type answer. <laughs> yeah. And when you want to play something competitively, that's obviously an issue and it's annoying. Um, but that's the funny thing about Counter-Strike, right? I, I often find myself, and I think that's probably also kind of the norm in Counter-Strike, is that when you lose to someone and they're better, it's extremely frustrating because all you can really do is just be mad at yourself. Of course, there's the occasional cheater and 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 that's obviously very much a thing in, in a lot of, of shooter games. But all that aside, you'll often just be left with feeling like you need to get better more than wanting to tear your DualShock controller apart, right? Because you're yeah, frustrated yeah. with the game feeling buggy or slow or weird. So so that, I think, is is also what, what makes it great and was, was kind of a, a good segue and, and, I guess, red thread back to my point around, you know, a soccer ball laying on a soccer pitch, right? can't really get mad at the grass or the ball or or anything else you probably can if it's really bad but for the hypothetical of the example if i kick it and i try to hit the goal if i don't hit it it's probably my fault right and and that's yeah. the the beauty of counter strike truly yeah i think if fifa had 400 fps um i think there'd be a lot less <laughs> a lot less rage on the internet and maybe came out every fifth year instead of every year well that that's an interesting point isn't it because obviously fifa is a yearly cycle game and that brings up a lot around ultimate team and the fact that you know 
people spend a lot of money getting the best team and then by september um you have to do it all over again and that's a completely new completely different point and that but that's a thing that a lot of people are uh, a lot of people are angry about particularly esports players because they need the best teams to compete um so that's one of the disadvantages with the yearly cycle and i think what konami have showed with their eFootball pez series um they haven't brought out a new game for 2021 um, their 2021 game is exactly the same as the 2020 game. It's just an update of the the players' kits, the transfers and stuff. And so it's, it's yeah. proof that it, it can be done. But, I mean, if you look at the, the sales figures for FIFA, um, why would EA change change their that the, the yearly cycle if they're... Because if they're, it's performing very well revenue-wise. No, exactly. And, I'm, and I think, you know, the most depressing thing in, in that ecosystem is as well, and please correct me if this is wrong, but it is correct, right, that the ultimate team resets every year. So if I've invested absolutely ten thousand yep. dollars in it this yep. year, I'll have to do the same next year. Absolutely. Just when hearing that, that is the most mental thing I've heard from like yeah, a video I game know. perspective. And I have friends that that will happily spend you know tons of money in it, and I, that I will never understand, and I would feel robbed to some degree. That, that I would have to do that every year. What it's like is imagine in Counter-Strike if you had some players who had enough money or put enough money in the game to have a special gun that was better than everyone else. <laughs> um, we'll be dead today. That is, what, that, <laughs> that is what FIFA Ultimate Team is like because if you look at the pro yeah. scene, we've talked to a number of pros on this podcast. They have to put at least four or five grand in of their own money at the start of the game. And if they're lucky enough to have an organization that backs them, that, that, that can help. Obviously, but the people that aren't, if they don't do that, they're left behind when it comes to you know the quality of the squad because that, just, that has such a big bearing on result if you have the best squad in may that's great but in september it resets again and that the cycle (laughs) starts again and i think that's that's an issue where when your esports scene is around a mode where the more money you spend the bigger advantage you've got i think that's causing a lot of issues and you can see that in the fact that loot boxes are being banned around europe i think belgium yeah. and the netherlands um over the first countries to restrict put restrictions on loot boxes in the uk government are looking at legislation around loot boxes because ea have argued successfully for a number of years that opening a pack is like opening a kinder egg um yeah. so We'll see what happens on that. But it's interesting from someone, you know, from a completely different esport, it's interesting to hear your views on on something that we've talked a lot about. And yeah, I'm sure a lot of FIFA players listening all all register the same the same thing. Because when you come up against a god squad, they call it, you know, an ultimate team if you're yeah, okay. foot champs. You just oh my God. What what can you do? I mean, even if you're a better player, the the fact that, you know, they've got Pele and Ronaldo and you know Vieira and Hullet you know it's it's uh, rough it's not great exactly exactly I just think that's that's kind of also what what is the beauty of some of these games right we keep talking about Counter-Strike and and Dota and League of Legends and a lot of these other games right is that you know even the Battle Royale games Fortnite and others you're buying cosmetics right it doesn't change anything I may feel better because I feel like my character looks better uh, but it probably doesn't really change anything right And, and that is the way to go you know this the, the madness that we just talked about about FIFA will at some point undoubtedly end, I'm sure. Maybe not. And then it'll just be the eternal hamster wheel of ruining people. I, I really hope that's not the case. 
it just feels purer, doesn't it? The fact that you know yeah. you can you can get these games for free, like Counter Strike, Fortnite, Warzone. You can you don't have to buy the game. You can just hop on for free, and it's your choice whether you want to spend money on it. Cosmetically, you know you can. I mean, the latest Warzone campaign. I mean, you can look like Bruce Willis or you can look like Rambo if you want to, but you don't have to. You can just look like a generic <laughs> person and go around and be as good as someone looking like um rambo so it's it just feels more pure and i think like you said i think that's what makes games like counter-strike league of legends dota 2 so so popular is the fact that they're so easily accessible and there's that purity around them and maybe the fact that they're a bit older as well there's a bit of nostalgia in there as well um and it makes that it makes them feel pure as a as a title that that people love them so much yeah, definitely. And and there's almost it's funny thinking about a video game that way, but there's almost like a both a purist and a bit of a like connoisseur type vibe over it, yeah, right? It's yeah. like, oh excellent choice, sir, that you've chosen to play this game. <laughs> it's it's super interesting, no, but but yeah, I I definitely hope for for the best for FIFA as a game and it's a game I enjoy myself as well. But but it's definitely a an interesting challenge that I hope they begin leaning into more in the cosmetic field rather than than this type of, you know, pay to win set up because you know at the end of the day right what do you want if you want to play competitively you want the bar to be set by your own skill set right that's the only true way to get a a sense of victory over someone which is in essence i assume why all of us play competitive games so yeah yeah that's definitely how i like my competitive games for sure so that leads us nicely on to what makes, in your opinion, what makes a good Counter-Strike player? What qualities do you need to have to, to be successful at the game? It's a super interesting question and, and probably one that's not hard to answer, but it can just be a constellation and makeup of so many different things, right? Um, because I think one big aspect is, of course, pure aim, just how good and fast are you at getting the crosshair on the screen over to the opponent and eliminating that person first right in the most efficient way which would be aiming for the head and and getting the job done right so there's the there's the aim aspect of it which is one another is is just pure movement and it's going to sound weird but but yes they are running around on a map and doing things but movement is, is super specific as well there's ways you can jump on ledges and by doing very specific mouse movements get higher up on other ledges not very easy to reach and a lot of stuff goes into that so so that's another side um there's also then just tactical and and tactical awareness i want to call it and and game understanding and and what i mean by that is is just understanding how the game works in its base level competitively in in a pro match right so that can be when a player turns a corner the corner that you're covering because that's your job in this match um where will his head be what height do you need to have your crosshair on what angle should you position yourself in in order to make the who spots who first transaction as much in your favor as possible um, in order to get that elimination right, and I know I'm getting super granular, but it's just to try to set the scene uh, of what I mean by by these things. Having that understanding, positioning essentially of yourself on the maps, how to cover these sites or how to best take the sites, um, is a huge thing. And and with that comes understanding of um, you know in the game there's utilities we call it. It's different types of grenades that can help 
push an opponent around out of sights that you want them out of. It can blind the opponent. There's Molotov-style grenades that can push them out of corners that they're hiding in uh, in order to get an advancement on you. Um, understanding how to use these grenades, because it's not as simple as open a door, throw a grenade, and close the door, <laughs> like you see in movies. It's very much looking up in the sky, because you can throw grenades over walls. And there's very specific lines and places you need to stand in order for grenades to land up in the right spot. So what you'll see in, in a pro Counter-Strike attack is the offensive team lining up. Grenades is what it's called. Um, it'll then be a mixture of all these grenades thrown at very specific timings. And then an explosive attack happens on a certain site, right? So obviously a lot of different tactics you can apply to that and fakes, etc. But in its core level in competitive play, you do that. And just understanding where do I need to throw all of these grenades sounds like a small thing, but it's obviously a ton of information you need to process. So that kind of all taps into that. So that's very much the game-specific things that you need to embody as a good pro player. Then there's the out-of-the-computer type stuff, which is communication, right? Um, if you've ever heard, and, and if you haven't, then please go to our YouTube channel uh, and check out some of the voice comm videos we've done. Um, because when you hear professional Counter-Strike players talking in a live match, it sounds almost like a military unit doing work, right? Everyone knows exactly where they're going. They're saying minimal information to not ruin the sound image that they're operating in. Because footsteps, movements, reloading of weapons by the opposing team on another side of a wall all of this is information coming in that you need to be able to hear while also understanding what your tactical leader on the team is telling you to do so they're processing crazy amounts of audio information um, and that and being able to both process it give correct information back you know that can be anything from moving over here i'm low on health i have this much uh, utility left. It can be, I think there's someone over there. All these things are things they are just saying, you know, and firing off as, as information. And that obviously has to be as, as right as possible. Um, so all of those things combined. And then finally, in a mixture of, of what it takes to be a good teammate, right? It's, it's very classic sports um, in, in how you just create for a good team spirit. So being a team player and understanding your position within the team being able to lift each other up when times get rough, you know, all these classic uh, sports things is very much a thing here as well. So I think that that together is kind of the total package and very few players, I think, uh, check all check marks in its highest, let's call it rating for the sake of, of the hypothesis uh, in this world. So, so when you get some of these unique players that embody all of it, that's great, but often it'll be a mixture of, of all of these things with, you know, some being better at something over another. Yeah, I think my friends friendship group have got a lot to learn from what you've just said because we've got a <laughs> uh, we've got a squad where there's one particular person. He'll know he'll know who he is listening. Obi's listening. He's a big fan. Hopefully, <laughs> he has a tendency to rush out on his own and try and be the hero. So, you know, if we're, you know, if we're in a house, we've just got a house and we say, oh, there's an enemy in the house next to us. Don't, don't you know, just let's just hold it for a bit. Let's see where they are. <laughs> By the time I finish saying that, he's already in, in the opposition house trying to finish them all off on their own. So that's not a good tactic, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, unless he's, you know, world class. 
Yeah, it doesn't sound sound that good a tactic. You know, we had wonder kits, you know, in the past that w- would be able to do that, but then get the eliminations as well, right? And yeah. even though that's still frustrating to play with, hey, at least you're winning, right? So no, I'm sorry, it doesn't sound like your friend is is being a good team player. So so yeah, st- food for thought. It sounds like for him, <laughs> it's not but, optimal. It's not optimal. No, definitely not. You, yeah, I think I, the one thing to just be mindful of, which I think is fascinating, just as a quick note to that, is. For anyone who played any type of sport, right? You know, I played soccer growing up and I've played a ton of different sports. And and if you've played something where a team is pretty big, you know, you're 11 people on the pitch, you have a bench full of people and sometimes you're on the bench. That just means that if we lose, then there's plenty of people to take that fall, right? That can be evened out over an entire team and you don't really feel that bad. In Counter-Strike, because the teams are five people, it's a pretty big amount of, you know, responsibility in getting the win that you have on your shoulders. So this is to your friend now, by the way, it's specifically to him. <laughs> it's so so think about to him. the fact that you are, you know, 33.333 or whatever the calculation is, you are that amount of the problem if you don't win. So take that serious. You know, you want to get that W. You're listening? You're listening? So. Good, good. I'm, I'm hoping you say, I was talking directly to him then, by the way. Um, so listen... <laughs> When we go on Warzone next, I want you to think about what you're doing. You're part of the team. Let's 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 win together. Let let's not have any individuals in the team. That's that's not good. Just going back a bit, I just want to touch on something you said, which is quite interesting. The fact you, when you were describing all the different ways of of attacking, because it's a 20 year old game, does that mean that you see a lot of creativity? Because players have to be creative because they know so much about the game. Hundred percent, and I and I think it's it's both in creativity with with what's already there. So it's not always you'll have the odd situations where uh, now someone's figured out if you do a five man, not five man. So let's just say a three man boost. That means they jump up on each other, almost standing on each other's backs. Then you may be able to look over a wall that wasn't possible before certain updates. There will be the the odd things like that, but that's obviously extremely rare. Um, but what is more typical is that games go, or sorry, pro teams go away, and then they have boot camps where they play around with things, perfect things, tweak things, study the other teams, and you know there are situations where we've seen teams come back, and then all of a sudden they have completely elevated the way they utilize utilities. As an example, the grenades I was talking about. The power of those, when used right, can be you know completely match-altering if you get to master those. So I think the beauty of the game right now is that what you see is you get these aha moments by people who are digging deep and beginning to master things on new levels that is not seen before, right? And and that's where I think back to the beauty of of longevity of the game is that you know I can recall players that I would. Um, consider being the Pelés of, of you know of, of Counter Strike, and if you brought them in today, probably not be that good because the game is elevated now. We have Messi's and Ronaldo's running around, right? Um, and that's just the evolution of the game, and and it's kind of the same that's happening in Counter Strike. And because the game has lived for so long, we get to see that, and that's what I'm truly excited about is that you just see people taking this game further than you would have ever imagined when you played it a couple of years ago. And and that's very much the journey that's happening right now. You know, people macroing different things, finessing things, and, and then all of a sudden that can have a huge impact on how a team begins to dominate, basically. 
I was just looking at the the top earning players in Counter Strike Global Offensive, just on esportsearnings.com. I'm not sure how how accurate that is, but the, the top five players are all Danish. Do you, why why is that? What is that? Is is Denmark a hub for for Counter Strike pro players? It's actually not not just Counter Strike, but I think if you consider the very small size of our country of what, 6 million, um, we probably have the highest amount per capita uh, pro esports players, which is super weird. And that's across multiple games in all different directions, but especially in Counter-Strike. And I think it's, it's something we've discussed a lot. And there's obviously a lot of hypotheses as to why it is. My take, which, which I definitely firmly believe in when, when having seen other Scenes is what we call it usually. There's the you know Counter Strike scene in Sweden, Germany, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that's how I may be using scenes when we talk. Um, so in the Danish scene, um, what we have always had and been blessed with is super fast internet compared to people around us and the world as a whole, right? So um, my thought is for sure that because we had extremely good internet, it meant that we could practice versus team comf- teams comfortably in countries almost all over Europe. When you reached Italy and stuff, it was a bit frustrating, but but still you could play versus almost all of Europe, Russia, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the beauty of that was that the bar all of a sudden became super high, right? Because you could face a lot of very good players. So back in the early days of Counter-Strike, Sweden was dominating heavily. Uh, more than Denmark is today, and that's kind of shifted to Denmark now. Um, but there was this big back and forth between Denmark and Sweden. Germany was there as well, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I definitely believe that the the consistency in good internet uh, was one thing. And then we had an incredible um, LAN environment. So that would be tournaments in the old days where I would pack up my computer from home, drive to a gymnasium hall somewhere, set up my computer with my team, play versus others, right? We had so many LAN events in Denmark, in Sweden, in Europe as a whole, and we drove all over the place back then. And I think it just meant that not only did we get very much used to playing in LAN settings, there was just so many competitions that it was kind of extreme. Um, And I just don't think all other countries picked up as quickly uh, as some of our countries did. So I definitely think that, that that was a key part of it. And you also see it today, right? There's American teams and Brazilian teams that may choose to go to Europe to practice to face other teams because there's, of course, the um, the challenge of internet and just connectivity and distance, meaning that I can't play versus someone in Brazil right now. That would be a bad experience for both of us. So teams are actively moving around in order to be positioned in places geographically where they can practice versus a p- large enough pool of competitive teams to get better. Right. And it's that ancient old saying of, you know, you only get better by playing versus someone that's better. Very much the case here. And and back in the early days, we were just surrounded by people that were better. And then sometimes Danes were better. And it's been this big back and forth. So I think that's a huge part of it um, would be my take at least. If that's true or not, I don't know. But it's probably the best guess I would be able to give. That's really, really interesting. And I've only just connected the fact that we've got a, um, in the FIFA scene, there's a 15 year old uh, signed to yep. RB Leipzig called Anders Vergang, who who went on a 535 game winning streak without losing on um, 
FIFA Ultimate Teams Weekend League mode, which is, uh, I mean, I can profess that is absolutely unbelievable. Um, <laughs> That's mad. It's it's incredible. So uh, yeah, and obviously he's he's from Denmark. So maybe you've got a point there, Nicholas. And I've never, ma- I've never, <laughs> yeah, I've I've never, I've never connected the two. But um, yeah, maybe maybe I should take a bit more notes of that. Thanks for making me a bit more aware of that. But just looking at some of the the prize money that the guys have won, and it's uh, it's making me my eyes water a bit. Some of the uh, the prize money. I mean, these are proper. From what you've described, the amount of effort and work that these these athletes, if you want to call them athletes, put into being professional esports players, there, there is no doubt that these these men and women who compete at the highest level, they're professionals in their own right, and it's not just you know that they they just stay in their bedroom and they eat really unhealthy, and you know that old adage of like a gamer that that doesn't talk to anyone, and you know that that's been blown out of the water by esports, I think, and. These are these are proper athletes at the highest level, competing at the highest level. And for anyone that doesn't think esport is, uh, you know, relevant or the fact that it's not, it's less than sport, maybe. Uh, yeah, that's that's not right, is it? Um, I think that's been proven over the past two years. With with we, we've seen esports move into more of a mainstream, haven't we? Oh, definitely. And I'm, and I think the amount of pressure you're under as an as an esport athlete is extreme right and and i think the best if you look at it um biologically and what should your body be in what state in order to perform best um in an esports setting it's kind of interesting because there was some tests done and what you definitely don't need is to be big bulked up you know large muscle mass etc etc that's actually going to work against you right because you're playing a game where you have to be um completely sharp in your head and and working in the highest uh amount of demand on your brain for a very long time at a time right so in the worst case you could play six hours competitively in one day um as a pro team and just imagine if you had to sit and focus on something that could mean like you said you make millions or not for six hours at a time that's super intense so a funny and interesting test was, and not test, sorry, but, but research was done in that if you look in traditional sports and think, well, which type of, of body and just the physical state you need to be in in order to actually perform best as an esport athlete, you had to look towards the likes of golf, where you have to be in good physical shape, meaning that you're ready to take on a very long stretch of activity. Uh, and activity in the brain as well, uh, but it's not necessarily explosive, as you see other sports are, right? And that's super interesting because that's essentially what is the exact same case for Counter Strike and esports as a whole. You want to maintain a pretty steady blood sugar level throughout. You don't want it to spike as you want it to do in other games because it's an explosive performance. It's 90 minutes of a soccer match, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you'll see. A lot of these teams taking health a lot more serious, but also not necessarily to the degree as other sports teams do, where they have to go pull weights all the time. And so that's not the same thing that's that's needed here. What you're trying to combat is a drop in focus and blood sugar, right? Because that means that you'll begin losing focus, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's super interesting. Sorry, my dog barking. He thinks that's it's fun. interesting as well, but uh, <laughs> it was a good point I made, I hope. 
<laughs> yeah, very good point. Thanks, thanks for that, Nicholas. And I was just looking at the total prize money awarded since 2012 from 5,703 tournaments. Um, it says here prize money awarded 114,284,000 so far. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but if it's anywhere close to that, then that's uh, that's incredible. Um, and just on that point, Nicholas, obviously as VP of product at Blast, what's the future look like for for counter-strike and and blasts do you, do you care to 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 give any predictions to what the future looks like well i think for us you know one one big uh, vision we have for the future is of course to to keep growing our counter-strike ip right which is blast premier currently and, and make that into a more and more uh mainstream type circuit meaning that the more people that come in and watch it the better so that's our entire mission in life is to get you excited about Counter-Strike and everyone listening here to hopefully tune in and get caught because they'll hopefully see everything that I've tried to bang on about makes it exciting. So that that's one journey we're on. Um, another is just to figure out, um, to follow with time when it comes to how the esports consumers consume you know, content, live content, et cetera, and try to be adaptive of that. So we're working on some super exciting projects within that space. And then, of course, the, the most obvious can we take what we've done in Counter-Strike and do it in other games, right? And maybe that'll come through in being able to create similar types of league structures in other games. Maybe it's that we begin lifting these type of productions for other games, you know? Who, who's not to say that, that some of these big game developers wouldn't want the likes of us to do it instead of having to do it themselves? Things like that are things we're obviously always exploring and are interested in and and we see that as an important cornerstone in, in what will be Blast as we continuously grow. But what we also want is, and, and that's where you know it took us almost three years to do anything else than Counter-Strike, and that was purposeful. We wanted to make sure that we did Counter-Strike great and to the ambition level that we have before doing other games. And, and that's what I feel like is our modus operandi at, at, at blast and kind of our, our vision and mission if you will not to make this too marketing and buzzwordy but uh <laughs> but the truly is what we try to live is make sure that whatever we throw our energy into gets the same amount of love as what else we've built right and and i feel that that's what make us special you know there's plenty of places to go if you want cookie cutter type esport experiences we try to break that mold and and create a new one that's hopefully more exciting Nicholas, I think we could probably do a three-hour podcast on this. I think we could probably get sure. full Joe Rogan on on esports and and all things Counter Strike and gaming and stuff. But I mean, you've spent enough time with me as it is, so I really, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and with our listeners explaining about Blast and Counter Strike. And it's, it's been it's been great to talk to you. I've learned I've learned a lot. Hopefully, my Warzone teammates have learned a lot from from you as well. So thanks for that. I really appreciate it. And not that you need it. I say this every week because we speak to some amazing people but best of luck with everything in the future of blast and thanks again for for coming on appreciate it thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for your patience in in making calendars line up it's been great and let's do the three hour one i'm ready Thank you for listening to Level Up, the esports and gaming show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a rating and review. You can also follow us on Twitter at Level Up Pod, where you'll find all of our previous episodes and information about how to subscribe. We'll be back with a brand new episode very soon. Level Up.